after that fantastic time of worship, let me invite you now to grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts and go ahead and find your place in Acts 20. That's where we're going to start. We're not going to stay there. We're going to move on up through 21, 22, and 23. We're going to come to the end of the book of Acts in just a few weeks. So we've got quite a bit to cover this morning, but we're going to start right there in Acts 20. So go ahead and find your place there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's one in the seat pocket in front of you. That's our gift to you. So you can take that and kind of follow along this morning. The word's going to be on the screen as well. Uh, but I doubt this morning as you take that Bible in your hand and you open it up and you see the English words there for I guess the majority of you, you might take for granted the gift that you have to be able to have a Bible in your own language. You might take that for granted in the name William Tyndale may have never come to your mind this morning, and as a matter of fact, it probably didn't at all, and I know that, but for me, William Tyndale is one of my heroes of the faith. Now, William Tyndale lived in the 16th century, when if you can imagine, it was illegal, uh, it was illegal for the Bible not only to be written in English, it was illegal for a commoner, a commoner, if you will, to read the Bible at all according to the Roman Catholic Church and the King of England of that day. William Tyndale was a man who had deep conviction. There was something that drove him and something that gripped him. He had studied the Greek New Testament. It was written in Greek. He had studied the Hebrew Old Testament. He had access to that, and he was convinced. He had a deep conviction. He wanted the Bible to be available to all English speakers in the country of England at that time. Now, the problem was it was illegal. It was going to cost him his life. William Tyndale was a man of great conviction. He was a man of great courage. There was a conversation that he had with a Catholic scholar. And this Catholic scholar said, we would be better off without the Bible as long as we have the words of the Pope. <laughs> to which William Tyndale said, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spares my life, I will cause the plowboy, the most common of all, the plowboy shall know more of Scripture than you do. Courage. William Tyndale defied the Pope and was responsible for the first New Testament to be translated in English four to five hundred years ago. In October 1536, at the age of 42, Tyndale's voice was silenced as he was tied to the stake murdered by the executioner, and then his body was consumed with fire. But as a result of his life, millions of copies of God's Word in English began to be disseminated throughout the English-speaking world. And now 400 years later, aren't you glad for the life of a man like William Tyndale? Take things like that for granted. Here's what I want us to chase this morning a little bit, coming out of that story and going into Acts 20 and 21, is this. Throughout history... God has accomplished His purposes through men and women of deep conviction and great courage. God has used men and women of deep conviction and great courage to accomplish His purposes throughout history. Now, let's be real honest. You may be here this morning, and I, I wake up a lot like this and wrestle with things like this just like you do, and you say, man, i got to be honest, courage is about the last thing I have today. <laughs> And the idea of deep conviction is a little bit foreign to you. Maybe you have a lot of good ideas and a lot of good opinions, but the idea of a conviction, like what William Tyndale had, something that grips your heart, 
Not a, well, it'd be good if I do this, or maybe I can get the Bible translated in English. Here was William Tyndale's idea. I must do this at all costs. And then the courage to accomplish that flows out of that conviction. Now, we're going to look at that a little bit this morning from the life of the Apostle Paul. We're going to continue on. We're going to start in Acts 20. You guys know you could use a hundred words to describe the life of the Apostle Paul. A man just like you and me, but a man of deep conviction and a man of great courage. As you walk through the book of Acts and we're nearing the end, we're going to continue on through. You're not going to find Paul preaching a sermon or teaching a lesson per se on courage. But throughout the pages of scripture, you're going to see it lived out in a way we can look at and go, man, Spirit of God, make me a man like that, a woman like that, of great courage, of great conviction that you can use me to accomplish great things for your glory. So that was the Apostle Paul. Now, in Acts 20 is where we're going to start, around verse 22. Derek led us through this last week. We're not going to stay here. I just want you to look at two or three verses here. Remember, Paul is traveling from Asia Minor. He's traveling from what was then called Macedonia. It would be modern-day Greece. And he's traveling down. He's at the end of his third missionary journey, and Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. Paul's got to get to Jerusalem. He stops in the city of Ephesus for a while. That's what's going on in Acts 20. He speaks to the leaders of the church there. We saw that last week. But he makes a couple statements here that I want to show you to kind of set up where we're going to be. What is, it, what is, it, what is a conviction? What is courage? What does that look like? Look in verse 22 of Acts 20. Paul says, And now, behold, bound by the Spirit... The New American Translation says, your ESV or different translation may say bound in spirit, little s. It doesn't really matter. The point is something had Paul. Paul was gripped by something. There was something that so enamored him, he was going to accomplish it. He said, bound in spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what's going to happen to me there. In other words, here's a definition for conviction or an idea of conviction. Conviction is not an opinion I hold, but it is a belief that holds me. A conviction rooted in God's Word and a conviction that the Spirit of God has so birthed in your heart through time spent with Jesus. It's not something that, you know what, that's a really good idea or that's a really good thing. Maybe that will work out. No, it's like Paul says, I must, bound in spirit, i got to get to Jerusalem. Because God had so wrapped his heart up in that. That's a picture of what we mean when we say conviction. Verse 23, he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. (laughs) Then I'll read over that. Paul says, I don't know exactly what's going to happen to me, but I've been told over and over it's not going to be good. Bonds and afflictions await me, but that doesn't matter because the Spirit of God has so constrained my heart, it's what I must do. i got to get to Jerusalem. Now listen to verse 24. But I do not consider, this is the way Paul thinks, listen to this. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. This is courage. 
so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus. That is to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. He's put that mission on my heart. He's called, he said, you must go to Jerusalem. I have this conviction. Therefore, bonds, afflictions, difficulties, doesn't matter. I don't consider my life as dear to myself. In other words, courage... You could define it this way. Webster defines it this way. The strength to venture, persevere, withstand danger, fear, difficulty, no matter what. Here's the way Paul defines it here. The conviction that God has put in my heart is more important than me. This, this conviction that God has placed in my heart is more important than me, Paul says. I don't consider my life of any account. Everybody's saying, hey, Paul, you better not go to Jerusalem. It's going to cost you. Paul, we don't know all that's going to happen there, but we know this. It's not going to be good. And Paul says, okay. The mission God has given me and the conviction he's put in my heart is more important than me. That's courage. And courage and conviction in the life of a believer always goes together. I'm going to give you four quick life applications out of this verses that we look at. Here's your first one. Godly courage is rooted in deeply held conviction. <laughs> in other words, when something grips you, flowing out of God's word, there's this conviction. Then you're going to have the courage to stick with that, to obey that, to do that, no matter what the obstacles are. But if all you have is an opinion, or all you have is a preference, or all you have is a cultural reality, because that's what we do in the South, then you get in those difficult times, and you get in the situation of pressure like Paul's about to get into, man, it's going to fade away, and there's not going to be any courage, and you're going to retreat. Let me give you some examples really quick. Man, it's easy for us, and we talk a lot about this here. It's easy for us to say, man, I believe this is the Word of God. I believe this is my food from God. I believe this is what nourishes my soul. And it's a good idea to open God's Word and bury my life in God's Word. It's a good idea. If all you have is a good idea, your good idea will not even get you past that alarm clock in the morning. It won't. And a full schedule and all the things that come after us. Listen, I know, a good idea is not going to carry you through. But listen, if you've got a spirit-wrought conviction in your heart that grips you and you believe to your core, I can't survive without hearing from God. I, I wouldn't even think about going into my day without humbling myself under the, the Word of God and hearing from Him first. Then guess what? Nothing will keep you from the Word of God. Different. Another example, if you, you're going to say, Pastor Mike, you're getting in my business here. Well, okay, maybe a little bit, but if you think gathering with God's people is a good idea, or maybe it's just a good suggestion, or maybe you've been brought up in the South and it's just kind of what we do on Sunday morning, let me tell you what, there'll be thousands of things on your calendar that will compete with that and will probably win out because opinions is not going to hold you. A preference is not going to hold you. But if coming out of Scripture and the Word of God as a believer has so gripped your heart, you say, man, I've got to meet with God's people. I've got to come in and be recharged. I've got to come in and worship my King with God's people. Listen, a freight train couldn't keep you from meeting with God's people. Nothing could stop you. There's a difference. There's a difference. 
I want you to know as one of your pastors and one of your elders, one of the growth points for us as a church is growing not in just ideas and not just in good suggestions, that we grow as a people of deep conviction rooted in God's word and we live out the courage that comes from that. We can kind of say all day and we say a lot and Man, we, we exist to make Jesus known. We have this gospel that we are to share. And if you think that's just a good idea or that's just a preference or that's just something the pastors talk about, listen, you're going to get in those tough situations and you're going to have people looking at you and you're going to cower out and you're going to bow out and you're not going to have the courage to make Jesus known. But if it is a deeply rooted conviction by the Spirit of God that we must share Jesus. And i got to tell my friend about Christ. He is my friend. I've got to make Jesus known to him. And you're like Jesus with your face set like flint. And that's a conviction. Listen to me. You'll be like the disciples in the book of Acts. Nothing can stop us from speaking of what we've seen and heard. God, let us be that kind of people. So here's Paul. Paul has this conviction in Acts 20. He says, I'm bound in spirit. I must go to Jerusalem. He says, this mission is more important than me. So he goes to Jerusalem. We pick that up in Acts 21, verse 17. You can turn there. Makes his way to Jerusalem. He's, he's there now. A couple things are going on. Paul is convicted that he's, he's got to go make Jesus known. And a couple other things are going on. I'm not going to take time to look it all up, but... As Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's, he's been living in Gentile land for many months, and he's been in Gentile churches, and now he's going to Jerusalem, the, the center of Judaism, and there's Jewish believers there. And Paul can't wait to share with his Jewish brothers and sisters what God has been doing among his Gentile brothers and sisters. Paul has this burden to try to unify the church, that there's not these separations of Jew and Gentile and all the, all the things that divide the church. And Paul's on his way to Jerusalem, and he can't wait to share what God has been doing in the Gentile churches. Secondly, Paul can't wait to share a financial gift that the Gentile churches have given for their Jewish brothers and sisters. I'm not going to take time to look all that up. You can look it up in 2 Corinthians. Paul talks about it in Romans. Many of the Gentile churches, Paul said, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem. The, the, the saints there are impoverished. They're poor and they were. It's a very poor area, very poor church, sometimes because of persecution, sometimes because of the drought that was going on, all these different reasons. Paul went to these Gentile churches and said, I'm going to my Jewish brothers and sisters. Your generosity would mean so much to them. Your generosity, according to 2 Corinthians, would be evidence of what God is really doing in your life. And your generosity as a Gentile, sending your gifts to those Jewish believers, would do so much to unify the church. So Paul's on his way to Jerusalem, bound in spirit. He's got this gift that's been donated by these Gentile churches, and he can't wait to get there. See that? So let's pick it up. Acts 21, verse 17. So after we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Yay! Starting out really good. It's awesome. The brethren received us gladly, the brothers and sisters in Christ there. And the following day, Paul went in with us. That's Luke, who's writing, and others, Team Paul. They went into James. James was the 
face of the Jerusalem church. He was the leader, uh, if you will. There were other leaders there, but he was kind of the face. It says, all the elders were present, end of verse 18. Side note, the leadership at the church of Jerusalem has shifted from the apostles who were in leadership to now elder leadership, and that's the pattern of all the New Testament churches. That's why we as a church believe in the leadership of the elders, and that's modeled even here. Not just one man, a group of elders, and that's what's modeled here in Acts verse 18. 19, after he had greeted them, he began to relate. Here's what Paul couldn't wait to do. Just get into his heart here. He began to relate to them, one by one, the things which God had done among the Gentiles. Speaking to Jews, what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. You can just imagine Paul, man. He was telling what had happened in Philippi, and he was telling what he had seen happen in Thessalonica, and what had just happened in Corinth, and how God had done so much in these Gentile churches. And he wanted the church in Jerusalem, these Jews, to just celebrate of what God had been doing. Now, for some reason, Paul delivers the financial gift, but Luke doesn't choose to mention it here. The author, Luke mentions it a couple chapters ahead in verse chapter 24. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. Acts 24, 17. It says, after an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people the gift to the poor and present offerings. So Paul delivers this great gift. And at this point, you're thinking, man, the the, the leaders are just going to continue to celebrate. And they're going to take this gift and the church is just going to be unified. Everything's going to go great. And things start to turn just a little bit here. So hang with me. Verse 20. And when they heard it, they began to glorify the Lord. Glorify God. Yeah. Fantastic what God's doing. And they said to him. It begins to change here, and I'm going to get into some details of what they say, and I want you to hang with me because it's really important for you and me this morning. And they said to him, you see, Brother Saul, or brother, you see, Brother Paul, how many thousands there were among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. He says, Paul, man, we're excited what God's been doing in the Gentile church, but man, here, thousands of Jews have truly come to faith. And you all know that, Jerusalem church, thousands and thousands of Jews who had truly come to believe in their Messiah. But the elders of the church here are aware of something. And they're aware of a boiling tension and a, a potential problem. And they begin to share it with Paul. So stay with me. And they said to him, verse 21, And they, these Jewish believers, have been told about you. The word told there is really a graphic word. We get the word catechism from it. it. It literally means to pound over time, over and over and over. They've been told about you, Paul. And here's what had happened. Some of those Judaizers that didn't believe in the Messiah had snuck into the Jewish church, and they were telling the people this about Paul. They say, Paul, they're saying that you're teaching all the Jews among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, tell them not to circumcise their kids, to walk away from all the customs. In other words, Paul, here's what people are beginning to believe about you here in Jerusalem. That you've forsaken being a Jew. And Paul, you're going to step into the city and it's going to get rough for you. And we've got, to, we've got a way to maybe work this out so there's not just this, just this bad scene in Jerusalem. And they say, how about this, verse 22. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. 
And I'm going to tell you, what they're going to ask Paul to do was not unscriptural. It is not disobedient. It is not compromising the gospel. But you got to know this. When Paul comes, in, comes into Jerusalem, this is not what he was planning on doing. But the elders and the leadership of the church recognize what's going on. I'm going somewhere with this, so hang with me. And they, and they say, Paul, here's what we're asking you to do. Verse 23. We have four men here who are under a vow, a Nazarite vow, a Jewish custom. Take them and purify yourself along with them. Pay their expenses, which could be very costly, by the way, so that they may shave their heads. That was part of the vow. And all they will know that there is nothing to these things that have been told about you, that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. In other words, take these guys, carry out this Jewish custom, and then they'll know that you're still, you're still really holding on to your Jewish custom and your Jewish heritage. That's not what Paul had planned on doing. And this didn't take one day. It took seven days. I said, Paul, go, go take this week. We think it'll matter. We think it'll help. Paul, this is what we're asking you to do. Now, I don't want you to worry about all the details of what they're asking Paul to do. Don't worry about that so much. Here's what I want us to get this morning. I want you to see how Paul responded. Verse 26. Then Paul took the men. And the next day, purifying himself along with them, he went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. You say, Pastor Mike, I read over that. I don't even know what that means. Here's what that means. The Apostle Paul recognized something. And the Apostle Paul demonstrates courage here in a way we may not always think of courage. And here it is. Your second life application is this. Godly courage humbly submits to authority. Now, they did not ask Paul to do anything wrong. They just asked Paul to do something he wasn't planning on doing. And Paul had been in Gentile territory, and the last thing he wanted to do, he didn't, he didn't even think this really mattered. He didn't think this was of great significance. But the leaders of the church said, Paul, here's what we want you to do. Now, can we all just be really honest with each other for a second? Left to ourselves, we all kind of buck up against authority from time to time, don't we? Don't look at me so spiritual. Come on now. In us is kind of this distrust of authority, naturally. Listen, I learned a really good lesson about authority. This is one of my wife's favorite stories. When I was, um, when I was a young guy in ministry and I was at Kirby Woods Baptist Church in Memphis and I was serving there with Bob Pittman and great team there and I was a lowly intern. I was just an intern. And the, the leadership of the church decided that they wanted to shift my area of ministry from what I was doing to work with middle schoolers. Now, nothing against middle schoolers. I got some at my house. I love middle schoolers. That's just not what I intended to do. And the leader of the church calls me in with some other guys, and they say, okay, uh, Mike, uh, not Pastor Mike, just Mike. Uh, Mike, we believe that it would be best for our church for you to serve in the middle school ministry for the next year here. And I sat there, and I, I heard that. I didn't have a real good understanding of trusting authority and all that. I was very young and naive and all that stuff. And I looked at Brother Bob, and I said this. I said, Brother Bob, I don't really feel led to be in middle school ministry. Brother Bob, very kindly, but yet as the pastor of the church, looked at me and said, Son, here interns don't feel led. You're going to serve in middle school ministry. That's what I did. I learned a lesson that day. 
Now listen to me. I want you to feel the weight of this because this is very informative and helpful for you and I this morning. The Apostle Paul is not an intern. The Apostle Paul is arguably the greatest leader in church history. The Apostle Paul comes in with great authority, great experience, and has every right, every way to look at those leaders of that church and say, listen, I know you think that's a good idea. I got a better one, or that's not really what I came to do. But here's what the Apostle Paul does. He humbly submits to those in authority. Now watch this. You say, what does that have to do with courage? Because courage... True courage believes that God is big enough to lead us through godly appointed leaders and authority he places in our lives. Now, now we don't see that. We don't often live that way. Here's exactly what that means. It means if you're a student and you're, you're a young person and you, you're at home with your parents and sometimes you think they're doing crazy things and they don't always make sense and, and they're asking you to do things you don't even agree with sometimes. Here's what courage says. God is big enough to lead you through your imperfect parents. Here's what that also means. Wives who, who, the world says a thousand different things. Is God big enough to lead you for your good and his glory through your imperfect husband? Church, is God big enough to lead you through your imperfect elders? Imperfect men. But yearn to walk with God and lead you well. Hebrews says this, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over you and over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be very unprofitable for you. In other words, to not have the courage to recognize godly authority that he places in your life, it doesn't go well for you. Paul is humble enough and has the courage and has a big enough view of God to say, listen, leaders of the church believe this is the right thing to do, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Now, caveat here. In the short run, it looks like it doesn't turn out well. <laughs> so hang with me. Let's continue on. Just a few more verses. Verse 27 so when the seven days were almost over, in other words, Paul completed what he was asked to do, the Jews from Asia and primarily Asia Minor or Ephesus came down. These were the unbelieving Jews. These are the ones that didn't truly believe in the Messiah. So they come and they show up in Jerusalem. And seeing Paul in the temple, they begin to stir up the crowd and they laid hands on Paul. And they begin to cry out, men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. They're saying, Paul is not even loyal to the Jews anymore. He's not even loyal to Israel anymore. And they cause this mob scene to rise up. It appears at the beginning that Paul's submission to authority doesn't turn out very well. Hang with me. Verse 30. Then all the city was provoked. And the people rushed together and took hold of Paul. And they began to drag him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Verse 31. While they were seeking to kill him. 
a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort. Again, the Romans are in charge at this point. The Roman cohort is there. Jerusalem is now in a mob scene. They came up to the, to the cohort that all the city was in confusion. Verse 33, then the commander came up and took hold of Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Just as he had been told would happen. For the multitude of the people kept following him and they were shouting, away with him, away with him. Is there anywhere else in the New Testament that phrase rings out? Away with him, away with him. What you see here is a major turning point in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul goes from a free missionary traveling the world to now he is a man bound with chains. And pretty much from here on in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, he's either in house arrest, he's in barracks, he's in stocks, he's in chains, he's, he's chained to a Roman soldier pretty much the rest of his life except with a very small exception. It would be very easy for Paul at this point to conclude things are not going the way I expected. And it would be very easy for Paul to say things are not happening the way I thought. I submitted to the authority. You said this would happen and it didn't turn out that way. But here's what Paul sees and here's your next application point. Paul sees even this being in chains. Let me just say something to you. Your week may have been bad, but I'm, I'm betting that no one came and put you in chains and stocks this week. Paul's day seems to be going really poorly here, but here's what Paul sees. He sees it as an opportunity. Watch this. Because of the conviction that he had, the courage overflows, and regardless of the situation, he's saying this. How can I make Jesus known? How can I make Jesus known here? Verse 39, the, the soldiers take him. They have to literally physically pick him up and carry him through the streets of Jerusalem. They take him to Fortress Antonia, which was there uh, where the Roman garrison was. They put him up on the steps. They're getting ready to lock him up. Verse 39, watch this. Paul says, I'm a Jew of Tarsus in, Cilic in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city. Now he says this to the soldier. I beg you, allow me to speak to these people. This is glorious. And you and I, we'd be like, listen, this is not fair. you got to let me out of here. This is not what I signed up for. You're locking up an innocent guy. Paul says, no, 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 no. I don't care what you do to me. Would you let me speak to these people? Here's what happens. Verse 40, when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand. And when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect, saying. And for the next 10, 15, 20 minutes, as we have recorded here, you can read it on your own. Paul stands in chains on the steps, surrounded by Roman centurions, a mob who is ready to kill him. And here's the one thing that's on Paul's mind. Watch this. Can I make Jesus known? Why? Paul had such a deep conviction that that was, his, that was his point in life. He said, listen, this mission God has given me is more important than me. And I am going to make Jesus known. Here's your third application point, life number, th number three. Godly courage takes every opportunity to make Jesus known. Chapter 22, verse 22, you can skip on ahead. Paul, for the next few minutes, you can read it on your own. He tells them about what happened to him on the road to Damascus. 
He talks about his heritage, how he grew up as a, as a Jew. And he talks about how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he talks about how Christ changed him from the inside out and the resurrection of Christ and the cross and all of that. And, and he tells him about what Jesus had done in his life. And then he ends by saying this. He says, and I've been called as a missionary to the Gentiles. And that's all the Jewish mob could take, verse 22. And they listened to him up at this point. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not even be allowed to live. And they were crying out and throwing off their cloaks and tossing dust in the air. And the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So Paul is now locked up. He's a man in chains. And he would look like at this point everything had gone completely south. It didn't work out the way, it didn't work out the way Paul had anticipated. Paul had tried to do everything right. But listen, here's the glory of this. Everything is happening exactly as God has intended to happen. You read the next few chapters in Acts, and we're going to look at some of these chapters the next two weeks. Here's what happens over the next few weeks in the life of Paul. In chains, in stocks, now a prisoner, he's able to preach Christ before the people of Jerusalem. He's able to preach Christ and make Jesus known before the Supreme Jewish Council. He actually is given audience before the Roman leaders, Felix and Festus. He actually stands before the governor of all of Judea and preaches Jesus. He stands before the king of Herod Agrippa. And ultimately he, he winds up in the city of Rome and has the opportunity to make Jesus known throughout the city of Rome. All according to exactly the plan of God. How did Paul... Here's the last point I want you to see. I mean, you had to imagine moment after moment after moment, chain after chain after chain, plans not working out like Paul thought, even though he'd been told all that, had every reason to lose courage and lose heart and not try to make Jesus known. What was it through all of that that sustained Paul? I want you to flip ahead to Acts 23 verse 11. I'm going to read one more verse and we're going to be finished. This is like a day later in the life of Paul. Paul stood before leaders, he's continued to be in stocks, and here's what happened, 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, take courage, take courage. Can we be real honest with each other and say, I need to hear that phrase over and over and over from the word of God because everything in life zaps courage from us. Jesus makes an appearance to Paul and says, take courage for as you have testified or spoken to the facts about me in Jerusalem, which was exactly my plan, so you will also testify in Rome. Translation, Paul, I'm with you. Paul, I see it all. Paul, everything that has happened has been perfectly according to my plan. Paul, I'm not finished with you yet. Even though you're a man in chains, you are perfectly where I want you. I'm perfectly in control. Paul, take courage. Paul, take courage. Fourth point is this. Godly courage flows from fellowship with Jesus and clinging to his word. Godly courage in your life, godly courage in your ministry, godly courage in those moments and those days and their hours where everything zaps courage from you will come and come from your fellowship with Jesus himself in his word, clinging to his word. 
Because you know where, you know ultimately where the courage came from that Paul had? Last point, we're finished. Listen, it wasn't Paul's courage. It wasn't Paul saying, okay, I'm going to think happy thoughts, and I'm going to try harder, and I'm such a moral person, and I'm trying so hard. Listen, as Jesus met with Paul, and Jesus spoke his word into the soul of Paul, it was the very spirit of Jesus inside of Paul that manifested, watch, the very courage of Jesus, not Paul. Just like Paul set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem, The reason he was able to do that is because the spirit of Jesus inside of him, the same Jesus, according to Luke, had sent his face like flint toward Jerusalem, just like Jesus. It was Jesus. Just like Paul was rejected by the Jewish leaders, same thing happened to Jesus. And just like Paul stood on trial, and just like Paul was wrongly convicted, and just like the mob was screaming, crucify him, away with him, away with him, exactly what they had done to Jesus. The courage that Paul had. Now listen, this is Christianity, not moralism. The courage that Paul had was not what he drummed up in his best efforts. It was the life of Jesus flowing out of Paul. That's the message of the gospel. Christ in you. Christ in Paul. And that changes everything. This kind of courage comes from fellowship with Jesus, clinging to his word, fellowship with his people. And God uses people of deep conviction and godly courage to do great things for his glory. Would you bow your head for just a minute? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a church. As we do that, David Brewer is going to come and he's going to walk us through preparing for that time. I just trust that our hearts and our eyes and our mind will be fixed on the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ this morning. And we would leave here this morning very encouraged because of Christ and his finished work.